Life Audio. The life that we will know when our faith is in Christ so far exceeds anything that we can imagine. And yet it's what we will know forever because of His mercy and grace. I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to So Much More. And after a quick word from our sponsors, my guest, Russ Ramsey, and I will be back to talk about the Easter story And Russ helps us see and understand some details you may have overlooked before. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung hero of her king and country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Well, today I'm excited to have Russ Ramsey on the podcast. Russ is a pastor and an author living in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has written several books, including The Passion of the King of Glory, which is a part of his Retelling the Story series, and it focuses on, well, the title gives it away. It focuses on the passion of the Christ. And so Russ, it is great to have you back on the podcast. You were here just a few months ago in our Advent series, and we discussed the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the rest of the story, Jesus's death and resurrection. So thanks so much for making some space to be with us today. It is it is great to be back with you. It really is. Well, I'm so glad to have you. So I want to start actually taking a step back and having you help us understand the world that Jesus was born into, because I think it's hard for us to understand why Jesus wound up being tried and then convicted of capital punishment. Um, So can you help us understand a little bit about the political and religious setting of Jesus day and why this made Jesus such a threatening figure to the establishment? Yeah. So it, it, um, the Roman empire, um, when, when Rome swept through and took control of all of these different regions and nations. Uh, one of the things that Rome did that was very shrewd um, was they would often permit nations and peoples that they had conquered who were religious people, they would permit them to carry on with their religion. Uh, they did, so they didn't impose a Roman religion necessarily on them, um, and they would do this as a way of maintaining control over the people, that, that this is something we can take from you. And so so when, when Rome took over Israel, they allowed the Jewish people to continue to practice their religion in exchange for recognizing Caesar as their king uh, and paying their taxes. And as long as they paid their taxes and, and recognized Caesar as their king, then Rome would let them do whatever they wanted to do as long as it wasn't, you know, a political uprising. And 
and part of the shrewdness of this was was Rome would would charge the religious leaders with the responsibility of making sure that their people didn't rise up against Rome. And so it put the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, who was the kind of the governing body, it put them in this really kind of uh, compromised position where in order for them to do what they do, to, to carry out their power and their influence in their culture, they they were kind of at the service of the Roman Empire as they did it. And so when you see um, so when Jesus comes along and starts performing miracles uh, in our church last Sunday, we were just talking about the the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how during those days, um, food security was not a given, you know, like it, it, that was a time when it, a lot went into procuring food and for somebody to come along and just sort of magically conjure bread um, was more than just, we weren't hungry at lunchtime. It was that's like manna. Like you, like if, 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 if this is a person who can just come up with food for thousands of people, uh, magically, then we want to make him our king. And that's what they wanted to do. And Jesus wanted no part of that. But it, you can understand that, it, you know, in those days, if there's somebody who can just provide food miraculously, not only will you not have a food vulnerability, but you can become a very, very powerful, powerful people. So when you fast forward to to the triumphal entry, which is a good picture of this political compromise coming to a head, is Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, uh, you know, on on this colt, and he's recreated Solomon's coronation. So he's riding the same path. He's he's everything is is like Solomon's coronation. And so he's he's intentionally positioning himself in a kingly way. And people are there and they're laying down coats and palms as a way of kind of making a path of honor for him. And one of the gospels tells us the reason they were there is because they heard that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so here you have this person who can raise the dead and can come up with food out of nowhere and, and all these other things. Uh, and so they're treating him like a king as he's riding in. And it's the religious leaders who come up to him and they say, you've got to tell these people to stop. Because they are, they we're they're recreating a moment, and everybody knows it. Everybody sees it, and they're treating you like a king, uh, and they're saying, "Hosanna!" Comes, you know, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And it's the religious leaders who are looking over their shoulders, and they're telling Jesus, "You've got to stop this, uh, because you know that it's it's Passover, and all the pilgrims are coming in for worship. Everybody's coming in for worship, and Rome is on high alert." And there are more soldiers now than ever because because this is going to be the big feast of the year. And Jesus, you are letting people treat you like a king. And if you don't stop it, Rome is going to take the temple away from us. Rome is going to take away our right to worship. And uh, and so they're they're rebuking him, but they're also appealing to him. Um, Would you please not ruin this for everybody? Mm. And so that's kind of a picture of in John's gospel. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. That's a very uh, verifiable statement. That's either true or it's not. He was either a martyr in the wrong place at the wrong time, or he was intentionally laying down his life for people. And when you see things like the triumphal entry, uh, and then the very next day hmm. is when he goes into the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables. The way I describe it in in the book is I say if Jerusalem was a beehive, he's hitting it with a stick. Uh, like he's picking a fight, sort of. He's or, or if we're not comfortable with that language, he is he is forcing 
the religious leaders in Jerusalem to have to do something with him Mm -hmm. because he is threatening now uh, their ability to preserve and maintain control. And the religious leaders are seeing that the people are following after Jesus. They're putting, they're beginning to put their faith in him. And so it's tenuous for them. And if they don't deal with him, they're going to lose. And so they bring Rome in and say, the thing you don't want to have happen, the thing that you've charged us to watch over, we're telling you there's a problem and we need you to step in. And that's kind of at the heart of why there's a trial with the religious leaders and then there's a trial with Pilate is because they're they're going through the channels to get rid of this person who is a threat to the thing that they think is the most important. And that is the religious establishment that they lead. Yeah, everybody's threatened. <laughs> no, it's good. Everybody's threatened. Yeah. And the religious leaders yeah. don't want to lose their hold on being able to, you know, kind of have their piece of control. And Rome doesn't want to lose control over them. Yeah. And so everybody's threatened in this way. You know, the other thing that has always struck me is about the triumphant triumphal entry is that this is the moment where Jesus stops saying, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Up to that point, he's tried to hold back it happening too soon. And now he knows it's time. Yeah. And so as he's coming in and they're saying, you've got to stop this, he's just letting it happen because it's time. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate the way you unpacked that. That was so helpful for me to hear it in that way. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. Just a further thing I might add to that is you see that the religious leaders are playing Rome. It's not just that Rome has all the powers. The religious leaders know, like, because they know Pontius Pilate is basically middle management. He's not, he's not a king. He's a guy who has been assigned to a place. And in order for him to get out of that place and climb higher in, in a position of authority within Rome, he has to perform well in Jerusalem. And the religious leaders are saying, they're holding his feet to the fire and they're saying, we're telling you, that we have somebody who's claiming to be a king. And if you don't deal with it, we will tell the people above you that there was somebody attempting to be king and you did nothing. And they so they tie his hands. And it's part of the reason why you see Pilate's ambivalence, where he he he's kind of like, you know, this, this is your issue. Um, but he knows that he has to address it. And he washes his hands. And even when he writes the sign over Jesus' head on the cross, it says King of the Jews. And they and the religious leaders say, no, it's supposed to say he claimed to be the King of the Jews. And Pilate says, it says what it says. I'm not changing it. Like th- that whole thing, you see that they that the religious leaders and Pilate are just kind of stuck in this power struggle. And Jesus is um, kind of the pawn for them uh, as far as they see it. It's a great way to say it, that they're stuck in a power struggle. And what they don't realize is that they actually don't hold any power. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back after a quick break. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. 
Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. As you studied this story and dug into just the life of Jesus, were there things that came to life for you in a new way or maybe things that you noticed that you hadn't noticed about him before. Yeah, the gospel are so rich in detail, uh, and and it's and these are things that were written in a time when most writing was done in thrift. There was not a lot of rab- rabbit trails, not a lot of of elaborating and going on and on because materials to write on were not. You couldn't just go to Kinko's and get a ream of paper, right? Like this was a this there was an economy to this. <laughs> right. So whenever you see details in the in the text of scripture, one of the things that we're supposed to do as readers is use the details to imagine. And um, imagination is a, is a really important part of reading scripture faithfully because it's a story that's being told. And so so I would see details that would just kind of stop me in my tracks when, when I would when I would just kind of mm-hmm. stop to think about them. Like like the 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 amount of wine that Jesus made at the wedding in Cana. I opened the book with, with the story of the wedding at Cana. Mary asks him to change the water into wine and he and he says my time hasn't come. He's referring to a different wedding, right? He's referring to his own. But then he makes this wine and it's gallons and gallons and gallons. Like it's, I think I did the math as something like 700 bottles of wine or something. It's it's a crazy number. Um, and you just kind of have to stop and think, okay, if somebody shows up at a party with 500 bottles of wine, <laughs> everybody knows, right? right. <laughs> like that's that's a big, big deal. Uh, and then as they're, as they're drinking it, they're saying, this is better than the, usually they set out the good wine first and then they save the bad stuff or the inferior quality for later. And it just got my mind spinning. And, and, and it's a question that I I won't have resolved until I'm with Christ in glory, but it's this, here's the question is, is it possible that those people at that wedding, as they're drinking the water, the wine that Jesus made from water, um, is it possible that it's the best finest wine that's ever passed over the lips of man in the history of fermentation. Were they actually drinking the best, the finest wine ever? And they just didn't know it. They wouldn't have known it. They wouldn't have known how to know it. Where I land on that is probably like, <laughs> you know, probably, uh, but there, there seems are, reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it does. Cause they noticed, they noticed this is something, it was very, very good, but I would notice things like when um, Mary anoints, Mary of Bethany anoints Jesus feet with oil. And she'd been saving it and it's worth a year's wages. It's this alabaster box that she she opens and pours all over him. She does this on the Wednesday before his arrest. And he's he's arrested Thursday night, right? And so so he's covered in a oil-based perfume that's enough that it's a year's wages. And in in that in those days people didn't shower, right? It was this was a form of hygiene, was was perfume. And so as he as he went through the cat of nine tails, as he was whipped, as he was beaten, as he was carrying the cross, he bore on his body 
the scent mm. of opulence, the the scent of kings. He 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 smelled like opulence. It's the kind of thing where, where you think, okay, as he's passing through the streets of Jerusalem, and the cross is agitating his skin, it's releasing a fragrance, and it's this it's the scent of of extravagance mm. walking through mm. the streets of Jerusalem, and things like that. Uh, that just there are these details that are there in the text, and when when you start to interrogate them and just say, okay, what is that telling us? There's just so much beauty mm-hmm. in those mm-hmm. things, uh, and and it's not like it's not like I'm looking for secret hidden meanings. It's it's just the words on the page, and what are they telling yeah. us? And when do they happen? So the gospels are just full of it. Yeah, gosh, those are great details that you even just brought up. Now I'm curious, as you even walked through Jesus's final moments. Maybe you can help us notice some parts of the story that maybe we just need to be reminded of, or maybe we've never actually seen before, like thinking about Mm -hmm. the fact that he would be giving off this fragrance for days. That's not something I've ever considered Mm -hmm. before I had started reading your book. And so what are some other things maybe just to encourage us as we're entering into this Easter Sunday? Sure, sure. The night of the Last Supper. Um, when they're in the upper room, one of the things that the gospel writers do, I think Mark and John both do this, is they they help us establish an emotional continuum for Jesus. So it, it, one of them says that when when they started the dinner, he he was troubled in spirit, and and so you start troubled in spirit, and you wash the disciples' feet, and you dispatch Judas to go do his thing, you establish the Lord's table, you pray your high priestly prayer, you tell the disciples that they're all going to fall away. Um, you, you know, you, you have this, this, this time with them and then you, and then the other end of that continuum. So it starts with his, with him troubled in spirit. It ends with him in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood because his anxiety is so high. So that's the emotional continuum as he is. Mm-hmm. It is very, very stressful. Mark's gospel tells us at the end of the last supper account, as he transitions to Gethsemane, he says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the garden. And that little detail right there, what it tells you is who's the host of the meal? Jesus is the host of the meal. Um, it's a Passover meal. They're singing psalms. Jesus, it means that at some point on that emotional continuum from I'm troubled in my spirit to I'm sweating drops of blood, Jesus scooted back from the table, stood up and sang. Mm. And he sang with his disciples and he sang a psalm of David about uh, the steadfast love of the Lord enduring forever. And and then he went to Gethsemane to await his arrest. And what's encouraging to me about that is if it's me, if I'm the one there, I'm not in the mood to sing. Um, I'm certainly not in the mood to be the one who's caring for the other people. I want to be cared for. And if you are somebody who wonders if Jesus has the kind of strength to care well for you, he sang over his disciples between sending Judas off and then receiving Judas, Judas's kiss uh, within a matter of just an hour or two. And Mm. the, the strength of that, the strength of the resolve of Jesus to know that, no, I'm going to Gethsemane to wait. Uh, because this is what I've come for. This is this is part of the the wedding feast that I'm preparing. Uh, this is an, a necessary step in it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so that detail to me just just 
proclaimed so much of the strength and the truth that nobody was taking his life from him, but that he was laying it down very deliberately. Um, even the way that he deals with Pilate, you know, there's a moment when when Pilate he's just not saying anything, and Pilate's frustrated with him because just because because Pilate knows these are paper thin charges. They they there's nothing to them, and he's telling Jesus, "All I need you to do is defend yourself, and if you would defend yourself, then I can just let you go. I don't want to deal with this." And he's and he said and he that's when Pilate says to Jesus, "Don't you understand that I have the the power?" to release you and I have the power to put you to death. And then Jesus speaks up and he says to Pontius Pilate in Pilate's court, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given to you by my father. Mm-hmm. And it's just the strength of Jesus to say, because he's basically saying to Pilate, I am not going to give you the words to release me um, because you're playing a role mm-hmm. in the salvation of humanity right now. And you didn't sign up for it. But you're playing a role in it, and you're going to have to do this. Yeah. And uh, those kinds of things where you see the strength of Jesus, the intentionality of Jesus, even Jesus giving Mary and John to each other while he's on the cross, mm-hmm. um, is just this is is just this beautiful picture of his ongoing care mm-hmm. for the people that he knows and the people that he loves. Yeah. Uh, which is us. You know, even as you were talking about the fact that he saying this hymn in the middle of this whole moment, it also said to me, and yet that is where we can find strength in our own grief and anxiety is by praising God and and reciting to ourselves the truth, just like Jesus did. And so he did that. And what a model for us to in the middle to choose that. Um, when, when we don't really want to, we want to choose a lot of other things. We want to choose it to just go away. We want to choose the feelings to change. And yet we can find strength as Jesus found strength to continue, um, the path that has been set before us. Yeah. So that's so encouraging for me for the scripture meditation. You actually suggested this beautiful and emotional passage of Mary. So Jesus is crucified. (laughs) He's in the tomb and there's a lot of confusion and high emotion that's happening, grief and all the normal things we would experience. And we experience when someone we love is, has passed away. They're experiencing all of this and confusion on top of it. And so you suggested that we meditate on this passage where Mary comes to the tomb and finds it empty and she's distraught. Um, I'm just going to read the verses to us real quick. It's uh, John 20, verses 11 through 14. So Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. So I'm curious, why is that passage meaningful to you? And just maybe help us think through it a little bit. So when I, when I started pastoring uh, a number of years ago, the first year of, of pastoral ministry, a woman came into my church um, that I'd never met before. 
and she had a head covering on uh, that told me she had cancer. After the service, came up to me and said, um, can, can we get coffee tomorrow? And I said, sure. And so we made an appointment to get coffee and we got together. And as we sat down at the table, uh, she she looked at me. Her name's Alice. And Alice looked at me and she said, I, I, I know this is kind of a strange thing and we've just met, but I, I would like to ask you to do something. And I said, what's that? And she said, I, I would like for you to bury me. And she was in the last weeks of a very aggressive cancer and she knew it. Mm. And she was in town. She had moved to town to be closer to her kids and she didn't have a church and she didn't have a pastor, but she was a believer. And, and in that conversation with her, she, she asked me mm. to bury her to, to, and and I had never done a funeral. I was a new pastor. So it was my first time ever have ever being asked to do this. And I'm being asked by the person who's going to be in the casket. Mm. And my relationship with Alice for the next five and a half weeks until she died was crystal clear. We knew who we were to each other. Um, you know, she she knew who I was and I knew who she was. And mm. I, I've rarely felt that close mm. to anybody in my church. And I, I'm a person who feels close to people. But there was such a clarity to who we were to each other that there was there was no posturing there were there was no wondering where we stood mm. and when i think about mary magdalene she knew they she and jesus knew who they were to each other that she had been redeemed mm. by him and she even says it to the angels my my lord has been taken uh, present my present lord uh, who's dead uh, has been taken, and I don't, I don't know where he is. And one of the, one of the things that I love about that is that you have this, you've got Rome and the Sanhedrin and disciples hiding, and Peter drawing his sword and cutting off the soldier's ear, and crowds crying, "Crucify him!" and all these different things. But but you also have in the midst of all this, you have Mary Magdalene whose life was changed by Jesus. And, and in this moment, you have just this, it, it kind of boils down to there's nothing really here in this conversation except two people who know exactly who they are to each other. Mm-hmm. And when we think about Easter, we can think about, you know, the miracle of the resurrection, which is essential. Uh, we can think about the, the the Holy Week, the passion of the Christ and all of the trials and conversations and all that. But 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 really, at the end of the day, what, what's happening here is Jesus is laying down his life for his friends. And he says, he says, there's there's no greater love than this, mm-hmm. that you lay down your life for your friend. And he's doing it. And and in saying that, he's he's telling us who we are to him, who we're his friends. Mm-hmm. And Mary understood it. And the reason Mary understood it is because it was hard for her to have friends. Mm-hmm. It was hard for her to, you know, she was a woman living in a man's world. She had a sinful reputation as as far as we understand. Um, and Jesus received her uh, wholly into, into his world. And so with all the other things that are happening, you know, you have this moment that John includes, and I think the reason John includes this, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. But also John was an artist. He had an artist's eye. He he had a sensitive spirit. He um, 
and he writes with a kind of a poetry and, and, and he understands narrative, he uses narrative in ways that's a little bit different um, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospels. And he does this kind of thing where he will drop you right into something where there's just an individual who's having this experience with Jesus. And it's so full of heart and it's so full of this clarity of who Christ is to them and who they are to Jesus. And so that's one of the things I love about this passage is it sort of takes you into a private room, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the inner workings of a person's heart um, who's known the love of Christ toward them. Yeah. So beautiful. One of the things that I appreciated as I was even reading how you unpacked this passage in your book is, you know, she doesn't know it's Jesus. And I love how you painted the picture of her being inside the tomb and it's dark and him standing in, you know, kind of with a bright light behind him. And so of course she couldn't actually see who it was. Mm -hmm. And I had always been told, well, he probably looked different. That's why she didn't recognize him. But I love that you thought through what would that scene actually look like? And what is it like when somebody stands with a bright light behind them? Well, they're shadowed and we can't see them. So maybe yeah, they're silhouette. yeah it's silhouetted. So maybe he doesn't look any different. She just can't see him because of the way he's standing. And that was just a beautiful detail to help me think through just that story and what was happening. And of course, then she, once she sees who it is, she, you know, grabs onto him and holds onto him. And he's like, it's, it's not, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to the father. And he sends her on and she, she goes and, you know, goes and tells the disciples what she's seen. And, um, yeah, I just, I appreciated so much your helping me see that account a little differently than I had before. I think, I think one of the things I love about this, and you see this with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, who were brother and sister, that there are places in scripture where you see um, friendships with Jesus mm. and you see them kind of being being lived out and you see the way that he um, honors his friends. And uh, one of the ways that he honors Mary Magdalene as a friend is he is he gives her the responsibility of telling the disciples that he's risen, mm-hmm. um, that a woman that a friend of his and a woman is the one yeah. uh, who tells the disciples who don't believe her at first because, well, they just don't believe her. Well, because, you know, people don't rise from the dead, first of all. Right. It's, um, it's spectacular but, news. <laughs> but, but what, a, I mean, what a, what a sweet gift um, mm-hmm. that Christ gives to Mary Magdalene is this, this, this honor of being the one to say, I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's just, that's, mm-hmm. Whew, mm-hmm. it gets me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and how much weight that held for him to say, I trust you with this Mm -hmm. as a woman, as a woman with your past, as my friend, Mm -hmm. um, there's so much spoken in to the fact that he says to her, I want you to do this. Yeah. And I want, and I want to show myself to you that, I mean, there's, and I think that should speak to all of us. Um, about how Jesus can see each of us as individuals with our past and, and he knows fully who we are. And yet he entrusts into us the message of carrying forth his gospel, just like he did with Mary, but also, um, just the calling that he gives us and onto our lives through his death and resurrection. Russ, I'm so sad about this. 
I need to ask you for some last words of encouragement because we are we are um, out of time. This has been such an encouraging conversation oh, wow. for me. I know. Um, okay, so I'm <laughs> curious. Like we just got started. I know. Yeah. I know. It totally does. <laughs> and I imagine all my listeners are like, "No, just keep going. Just keep telling us the story." <laughs> but I would, I would love to know just a pastoral word of encouragement to us, even maybe what you're hoping um, and holding in your heart for your own church as we enter into this Easter Sunday. How, what is your hope for us? Uh, what's a word of encouragement for us? Everything, everything hinges on the resurrection. Mm. Paul talked about it in, I think it was 1 Corinthians 15, where if Christ isn't risen, then people should pity Christians. Mm -hmm. But if he is risen, and one of the results of his life and his death and his resurrection is that for those whose faith is in him, uh, that is our destiny too, uh, to be risen, to be resurrected. Uh, for this life to not be the only thing that we know. What that means is whatever we're experiencing right now in this life, whatever strained relationships we have, whatever lack of resources we we feel we have, whatever mental and emotional struggles we're walking through, whatever parental crises we, we we're facing with wishing things for our kids that we can't see, uh, mm. all, all those sorrows and the pains that we carry, all of that will not win the day. It, it won't, it's not the story. Mm. As Sandra McCracken has a, has a beautiful song where she says, this is not okay. So I know this is not the end. That's what we're celebrating at Easter. We're not just, we're not just in a corner cheering because Jesus rose from the grave. And, and so, you know, the Sanhedrin in, in Rome didn't win. It's no, he triumphs. Mm -hmm. over the last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's our destiny. Perfect relationships mm. in the presence of our maker at peace with him forever. What we're going through now is, I'm not a fatalist, uh, but what, whatever we're going through right now is a is a vapor compared to what is coming because of what Christ has done. Because... Mm -hmm. At the end of the Last Supper, he stood and he sang over his disciples and walked to the Garden of Gethsemane and waited and waited for them to come and get him. And because he didn't defend himself in front of Pilate and because he surrendered himself uh, to the cross uh, for the purpose of taking on the death that we deserve. It, it is, it is mm -hmm. the life that we will know when our faith is in Christ so far exceeds anything that we can imagine. Mm -hmm. And yet it's what we will know forever because of his mercy and grace. Thank you. So encouraging. And I also think we will know that life. We will know the perfect relationships and we will get to taste that amazing wine that you talked about. That is better than any, yes. <laughs> anything that's ever been produced <laughs> yep. before, along with all of it. You know, I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a joke, but the truth is that's, that's what we long for. You know, Revelation talks about there will be no more death or crying or pain. That is what our hearts long for. Yeah. And that is what Jesus has done for us. And so thank you so much for all of these reminders. 
and just for making space to be with us today. So thanks, Russ. My pleasure. I can't believe it flew by that fast. <laughs> well, friends, hey, I am also delighted to let you know that InterVarsity Press, who has published Russ's books, is giving us free shipping and 30% off his entire Retelling the Story series. So that includes The Advent of the Lamb of God, which is what we talked about over Advent, The Passion of the King of Glory, which is what we were just talking about now, and The Mission of the Body of Christ, which would be a great book to pick up and start reading today because it takes you through where we are right now. And um, so... You can get all of that. There was, there's a code, much more. It's all in the show notes. All the details are there. So uh, do take advantage of that. Friends, I also want to give you a quick heads up that there are bonus Holy Week meditations that will be released Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Easter Sunday to help you move through these last few days of this Lent season with intention. So I encourage you make some space for those. All the guided reflections are in the Lent journal, which I hope that you have downloaded by now. And I uh, do hope that you love these reflections as much as I loved making them for you. I also want to take just a quick second to thank the team of Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. And if you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find a lot of other faith-centered podcasts that are in their network. Shows about prayer and Bible study, parenting, even this one on scripture meditation. So as always, my friends, I do want to thank you for joining me and Russ today on so much more because oh, we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us. And this is one way we create space to listen. Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's word, one verse at a time to explore his will for your life and desire to draw closer to him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search Your Daily Bible Verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.